0: Hey Jesse, you uh, you alive?
1: <laughs> Jesus.
0: So that's a yes. It's a little bit
1: dark. <laughs> yeah, I'm still alive. I heard you were going to kill yourself this week. Uh, yeah, that was all the news on uh, on Twitter. I guess uh, yeah, briefly, I had a run in with uh, our favorite website, Defector. Well, I guess mm-hmm. okay, so. I wrote about this in my newsletter. People can get the full lowdown there if they want. They might not. It's pretty ugly. But I got in a little bit of a tiff with a guy named Noah Colwin. Uh, cool Colwin.
0: Oh, he's the one uh, who is currently advocating no, for do No, no, no. Don't, Rufo, no, no, is...
1: okay. no spoilers. Okay. Okay. He's a uh, defector columnist. He has a podcast called Blowback. I listened to the first season of Blowback. I thought it was quite good. What they did- so Wait, so he's a sports guy. Uh, no. No. He writes about, like, politics and stuff. Isn't Defector Sports? Yeah, but he – I mean, politics, too. Uh, I don't know what his column's about because I have not and won't read it. So, uh, blowback season one was good. One of the things they didn't do – it was about Iraq. One of the things they um, didn't do in blowback season one was try to get anyone to kill themselves. Uh, Noah Cohen tweeted that I should kill myself, and 7,000-plus people liked it. And I pointed out, you know, even by the standards of internet bullshit, this is pretty crazy – which unleashed a torrent. Again, even by my own, I'm like, I'm a sick freak when it comes to crawling back to Twitter. You like it. Despite its bullshit. You like right? it. Yeah. I like it. There's some like sadistic or uh, masochistic part of me. I hadn't really seen anything like this like dozens, maybe hundreds of people telling me to kill myself. Uh, and also like journalists writing under their own names. Joking about it and to my mind, encouraging it. So
0: I think you should explain why exactly you're supposed to kill yourself this week. Did you insult his favorite basketball team or something? Did you say Iraq, the Iraq war was good? Like what, what exactly did you do to, to, uh, it because clearly this was your fault to, uh,
1: inspire this. Clearly. Yeah. yeah. No, there was a, um, <laughs> you'll never guess what subject this circles back hmm. to. Uh, there was a, Slightly convoluted thing where I, there was a, a podcast about youth transition and the, if you listen to it, they made it sound like a kid got a very brief, very perfunctory assessment uh, plain That's plainly what it said. And I responded to that. The young person who got that assessment said I was a liar. My assessment was in depth. She then provided a lot of details that were not in the podcast and therefore... I could not have responded to. Wait, so, wait,
0: shouldn't she be mad at the podcast, not you? You
1: know, one could say that. I'm not looking to involve her. I'm not even going to name her. But um, people pretty quickly ran with the idea that I had lied about a young trans person's health care. Of course, this was my fault. As I point out in my newsletter, I shouldn't have been... What's the point of tweeting about any of this? Like, who, who are you going to convince by another tweet about any of this? But yes, because I uh, subsequently was like, oh, this person actually said it went down this different way. I'm deleting my tweet. Here's what she said happened. Noah Coolwin said I should uh, kill myself using the language the FBI used to try to get Martin Luther King to kill myself <laughs> now, which is more important, which is more historic. I, we'll leave that to the historians to say, which sure. was a more outrageous abuse of one's power. Yeah. But uh, I don't know, man, it was, it was dark, not in the sense that I was going to kill myself. Cause Noah Coolwin said to like, of all the reasons to kill yourself, that's, That's pretty low.
0: if you're going to kill yourself, it's going to be because of something I said. Come on.
1: Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Um, But yeah, it stood out. I'm mentioning it because it stood out even by the standards of Internet bullshit. If you tell someone to kill yourself and especially if you keep joking about it and mentioning it after that person has already become the Twitter character of the day, which I definitely was at that point. I I just think like you should keep in mind there's a risk that that person is actually going through some shit and won't be able to handle it. Yeah, you just don't uh, you don't know what people are going through. I just I, I was I keep thinking like we've hit bedrock in terms of the way like other journalists enact- and rock bottom isn't better like hitting bedrock would be you can't go any further. <laughs> I don't know. Katie, if you I I I'm gonna kill that's myself. What they call rock bottom. <laughs> <I'm sorry. laughs> uh... Yeah, I don't know, man. It stood out. People will uh, link to the tweets in the show notes as well as my Interminable Substack article about it. Also, Noah Kulwin has since uh, today, what's today, Thursday, he said that Chris, instead of being given a New York Times column, Chris Rufo should be imprisoned. Right. And then he said Chris Rufo should be confined in the stocks and pelted with tomatoes. Um which Chris Rufo didn't like. Oh,
0: I think Chris Rufo so probably did like that, actually.
1: He did like it. Yeah, yeah he said that now. That it was actually funny because Noah Kulwin is just one raging asshole. Noah Coolwin said this. Rufo s- responds by quote retweeting it and saying now the libs right. are saying I should be the repridden. libs, as though first of all Noah Coolwin definitely does not identify as the For liberal. Sure. I promise you that. Second of all, no, the libs are not saying that. Chris Rufo one the leftists are. One raging prick of a leftist <laughs> is. Don't don't get it twisted. So, and
0: the re- the reason for this is because Chris Rufo has a column uh, in the New York Times today about DEI, which of course is an offense punishable by law.
1: <laughs> I just like it. It's like I don't know. It's pretty obvious what these fuckers would be in a very different setting where they had like actual power like what they would do.
0: The sense I get is people like Noah, he was probably horribly bullied as a child. And I say this based on his appearance (laughs) and he has internalized that and he has become a bully.
1: He's a cry bully. I mean, that's part of it, but they're also like, they're just authoritarian thugs or they would be if they had any power. Right. It's like a personality, personality type that in a very different setting, Roams the countryside trying to steal peasants' lands for the revolution. Like, shit. (laughs) you know what I mean? Like, shit that he'll never get to do because it's America. But, like, they're just – they're fucking thugs. And um, I remain grateful that the – it also goes back to the Gawker style, which is very ugly and sanctimonious and bullying. And, you know, Noah is a relatively successful guy. The podcast is doing well. But, like, overall – that crew has a lot less power than they used to, which is good.
0: Uh, well, Jesse, I'm personally torn on the question of whether or not you could kill. Your, you should kill yourself because there are financial benefits to me. Frankly, either way, you staying alive has some benefit. You dying also has maybe even more benefit. That's
1: this is the nicest thing yeah. anyone's ever but said. But
0: I do think, like you think, that if you actually killed yourself, these people would feel bad. I don't think so. I think they would be thrilled. And I think the only way to find out what the result would be would be for you to either kill actually kill yourself but in that case I wouldn't be able to crow to you that I was right or fake, fake your own death
1: huh okay yeah I think that's a really just I, think about I, it I think the healthiest thing for me to do after this past few days is to lean into this Twitter stuff and think about it more and pay more attention to it and just like really make my life going head to head with fucking Noah Coolwin, who's calling for Chris Rufo to be pelted with tomatoes I think this is healthy
0: look there's a line on the, a line
1: S on the loose in Berlin we can fake this pretty easily that's what the liberal media wants us, you think. Katie, what is the name of this very much non-suicidal podcast? This is Black and Reported, and I'm Katie Herzog. And I'm Jesse Single. and today we're going to discuss the children who I personally strongly believe should kill themselves be our future. <laughs> no? Oh, I got, sorry. Specifically, we're going to discuss the question of how they are set to be taught about African American history and slavery in Florida, America's Wang. Uh, but we're also going to talk about media coverage of that debate and whether or not it has sort of past our uh, past muster. Um, in addition, Katie, you're going to talk to me about X. X is going to give it to you. X. But before that, you had something else you want to mention?
0: Yeah. So before we get to the meet today, I, I just I want to offer a little bit of a recommendation. Um, so last week I heard from a writer and reporter uh, named David Joseph Velotsko. I wasn't familiar with with him until until I heard from him, but he was a new hire at the Seattle Times. He got hired as a columnist and as a member of the editorial board. He's got an impressive resume. So he's been doing journalism for 15 years, mostly in Asia. So he's lived in Japan, South Korea, China, Nepal, India, Israel, among other places. He also reported from Ukraine after the Russian invasion, and he's published a lot of different places. So he's he's a real reporter, unlike a, a couple of podcasters. Okay, so David, until recently, he was living in rural Georgia with his wife and daughter. And then he gets this job offer from the Seattle Times. So he moves From there, where it's very cheap, to here, where it's very expensive to take this job. And he used his first column in the paper to write about Seattle's infamous Lennon statue. Do you know about the statue?
1: No, I assume this is John Lennon, the beloved assassinated Beatle, right?
0: (laughs) Yes, hugely controversial. Everybody here likes Paul better. Uh, no, it's this 16 foot tall bronze statue in the Fremont neighborhood. It was it was brought here by a guy who supposedly found it in a scrapyard after the dissolution of the USSR, and he so he bought it and he brought it to Seattle and, and put it up. It's always been controversial. So some people like it, some people hate it. The Fremont neighborhood is sort of prides itself for for being quirky. So people like dress it up for Halloween, put tutus on it, shit like that. Uh, there have been various attempts to get it taken down but it's on private property so there's not much the government or anyone can do about it. So David has has written about communism for much of his career and his first column it was titled Dear Fremont, we need to talk about Lenin and your statue of the genocidal tyrant. And in that piece he talked about his grandparents who were refugees and his and his grandfather, his other grandfather who was a Nazi hunter. He was hunted by Nazis himself. And the conclusion of the column was basically like the statue is gross, it's in poor taste. Lenin was a murderer, but it shouldn't come down by by dictat. It should only come down if the community decides that it should come down. So that if was, the
1: proletariat rises up and decides right, to tear it down, right,
0: right, yeah. right. So the column itself, it did generate some heat, but it, this is something that this is not. He's not the first person to write about this. The statue's been there since the nineties. Like like nothing particularly uh, out of the ordinary for this column. It got some positive responses, but then David posted the column to Twitter. And when he did that, he made what would end up being a very expensive error. Uh, So he compared Lenin to Hitler. The tweet said, in fact, while Hitler has become the great symbol of evil in history books, he too was less evil than Lenin because Hitler only targeted people he personally believed were harmful to society, whereas Lenin targeted even those he himself didn't believe were harmful in any way. And then he followed that up with, quote, Hitler was more evil than Lenin if we're looking at what they did to people. And that's pretty important metric for, for assessing evil. So there's... I don't think there's really any sense or any point in ranking evilness. But I think what he was basically saying was like, look, this dude was a genocidal monster. Would you think it was quirky and fun to erect a statue of Hitler in this neighborhood? Probably not.
1: Totally get what you're saying. This is an example. I'm saying this as someone who tweets way too much, obviously. You're if you're getting into that level of nuance, like let's compare yeah. the sorts of people Lenin versus Hitler killed. If you do that on Twitter, you're going to have a very bad time always.
0: And that's exactly what happened. A bunch of people who probably didn't read the column accused him of defending Hitler. A local anti-Zionist journalist named David Silverstein accused him of being a Ukrainian Nazi for some reason. <laughs> and then sorry. said that, it, that quote, his ancestors slaughtered Ukrainian Jews by the tens of thousands. What? This is completely made up. Yeah. This guy, this guy has also published in the Seattle Times, like oh local journalist. Okay, so David's bosses were watching this all unfold, and his his boss told him, his editor told him, basically, like, we know you didn't defend Hitler. Chill out. Let this all blow over. Yeah. We've got your back. Like, stay off Twitter. Just ignore it. David didn't ignore it. He kept engaging, and a few hours later, he was fired.
1: Do you think he was fired for the extra engagement, or was that just a pretense, or do we not know?
0: I think it was a pretext. So. They said that it was because he exhibited poor judgment by continuing to engage with the people calling him a Nazi online. I think it probably is poor judgment. Never tweet. But my guess is that this came from on high because—
1: From the Jews. You mean from the Jews who run the media?
0: <laughs> I think it came probably from the publisher. Yeah. I'm not—like, he didn't tell me, you know, Frank and he's the publisher, he, his family owns the paper. David didn't say this came from this came from the top top, but this is just like my guess of sort of knowing a little bit about the inner workings of the Seattle Times. Regardless, the paper did issue a statement. They apologized for, quote, any pain we have caused our readers, our employees, and the community.
1: Oh, my God.
0: Yeah. So I talked to David a bit after this happened. And as I saw it and as he saw it, he had basically two choices. Disappear for a while, maybe go go quiet for six months or so and then when this all blows over try to get a job somewhere else but the problem with this is that if you google him guess what the first stories are that come up
1: he's a fucking nazi
0: right the daily beast the daily mail the stranger <sighs> all stories about this tweet and him getting fired for it and besides that there are just not that many jobs left in journalism at no. this point calling no. this
1: jobs like this was his one chance right right probably.
0: And so now he's living in one of the most expensive cities in the U.S. and he has to pay rent because the fee to break his lease is, I won't repeat the fee, but it is astronomical. It is five digits. It is a lot of money. Five digits to
1: break a lease?
0: To break a lease, yeah.
1: I'm just looking at the fucking Daily Beast, which is the Daily Beast write-up by a breaking news intern. It's just there's so little fucking compassion with the way this shit is covered. Uh,
0: yeah. So he's basically fucked. And uh, the other option was to write about it, or as he put it when we were talking, to go loud, to try to build up a viable audience on his own, basically substack. And, and so that's what he's doing. He published a piece about all this in the Free Press, Barry Weiss's newsletter. He was concerned about being perceived as, as a right winger. Of course, it's definitely a valid concern. He's not. He's a democratic socialist. He's actually he's, he's married to a Peruvian DEI trainer. Ooh. <laughs> like he is, he was hired by the paper. Yes, he was hired by the paper to be sort of the, the, the editorial board is, is perceived here as being conservative. So he was hired by the paper. <laughs>
1: yeah, I'm sure the Seattle the, Times. Oh, are, for sure. Right.
0: It is definitely perceived as being the editorial board is perceived.
1: I, stereotypically, I would imagine the Seattle Times editorial board is not. Conservative,
0: Right. So in, instead of endorsing a candidate who, for instance, calls for abolishing prisons, they'll endorse the candidate who doesn't call for abolishing prisons. So that by that metric.
1: <laughs> OK. So the radical radical right wing.
0: Exactly. They're, it's a Biden. It's a Biden supporting paper, basically. They're Democrats. So he was sort of the leftist brought on board. So he's definitely not a right winger. He's not even a centrist. So he was – he was, you know, concerned about being perceived as this like, all right, so you get canceled and then immediately start writing for Barry Weiss and take up a sub stack. It's a valid concern. Of course, this is exactly what is happening online now with people, you know, taking the predictable turn. I told him these people aren't those people aren't your friends. They aren't your readers. Like, just mute them and move on. So he he did launch his own sub It's about extremism, namely communism and fascism. It's called The radicalist. I subscribed yesterday, and I hope our listeners will check it out and maybe support David because he's really not getting support in Seattle, at least at least on Twitter. as an example of this, so after the column came out, he tweeted that he and his wife were out uh, for drinks at a bar, and they were like sitting at the bar chatting with the bartender, and he was discussing this Lenin column that he wrote. And the bartender said that he read it, that he was a communist, that he loves Lenin, and he asked them to leave. Oh my god! And Right. This would seem unbelievable in any other city. I fully believe it. He also told me the name of the bar. I won't repeat it, but it's very ironic. And the replies to this are just they're fucking gross. They're so gross. It's like tankies and Marxists and people whose historical knowledge begins and ends with a Che T shirt being like, Hell yeah, what's the name of the bar? I'll go leave it to
1: Honestly, some of the honestly some of the worst people online. Like I know Nazis are bad. Nazis are horrible. I hate Nazis. Nazis want me to die. But in terms of sheer there's something about tankies yeah. that I got to say just like something. I, don't, I can't explain it. Tinkies are the fucking worst, especially tankies. With the anime avatars, yeah. which a lot of them have.
0: Should we rank, like, let's say, like, Noah Coolwin, Noah Tankies, and Hitler? Noah Coolwhip. Cool whip, Tankies, I think that's the order. Fan art, fan yeah. art possibility.
1: Uh, yeah, I don't want to rank which genocidal regimes were the most evil because I, I hear that could get you in trouble. Noah definitely But it's, it's
0: Noah Coolwin. So it's been really gross to watch this and especially to watch Seattle locals, like, crowing about getting this guy fired. As I told David, Seattle is the prettiest city with the ugliest people.
1: It, I got to say I just – I don't know the details. I don't know how much he was tweeting. Maybe it was a lot. It's just a little bit disgusting that the Seattle Times would do that to someone they hired knowing what he gave up to come out there and how much they're fucking him over. They could – I – I don't know. I'm guessing if we knew the details, they could have given him like one more warning, like you have to stop tweeting. Your yeah. job is in jeopardy, and that they didn't do that. They
0: didn't give him any warning. It's
1: really disgusting. I, I.
0: That's why I think this came from on yeah, high.
1: I hope it. I mean, I guess there aren't a lot of other options for Seattle News, but I, I really feel like when outlets act, yeah, like
0: he's gonna go get a job at this Stranger. <laughs> no, 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 I mean more from
1: the from, from the consumer side. I feel like when outlets act in that way, they should be punished. Cancel like, Seattle. I would times. not want to support an outlet that treated its staffers that way. Cancel them. Harass them. That's what I'm saying. Um, okay, so we will
0: post a link to david's essay uh, in barry's newsletter and also his new sack in the show notes
1: best of luck to him oh yeah wait so barry the barry newsletter thing he just sort of explains yeah, what happens yeah okay um so yeah you should support this guy
0: oh and also ta- we'll also post a link to this tablet did a did a sort of reported piece on this as well so best of luck to david seattle times shortest lived employee welcome to seattle oh,
1: god that's an awful fucking story um all right, Katie. Well, unfortunately, that's not the last we're going to hear about Twitter this episode because that's what you want to talk about now.
0: Do not dead name it. Do not dead name <laughs> X.
1: I am not calling it X. I th- Sorry, has any reporting come out about like this strategy here? The one thing Twitter has going forward is that against all odds, there's probably what? One and a half, two billion people on the planet know what Twitter is. Few things have that level of brand recognition. And they're ugh, whatever. I guess you're going to tell me about it. I'm baffled by this. I'm not calling it X. It's Twitter.
0: Okay. yeah, So Elon Musk officially changed the name of Twitter to X, which I'm pretty sure is pronounced "kiss."
1: Wait, are you joking? Yes,
0: yeah, so I'm joking. I'm okay.
1: Joking. Good. Oh, like kiss X. Yeah.
0: Okay. So he'd been hinting at this for a while, but in typical Elon fashion, he seems to have decided to do it just like while he was sitting on a, on the toilet on an absolute whim, Uh because up until hours before he made the switch, he was soliciting logo ideas. It seems like something you would maybe have in place. And the logo he actually chose was a Unicode character. I looked up what Unicode is. It's some kind of standardized computer thingamajiggy. And, yes, that is the technical term. The point is this was slapdash, as was changing the name on the building because he didn't get a permit for the heavy machinery required to take down the, the old letters and put up the new one. The police briefly stopped it. <coughs> And the question is why he would do this. And I think the answer is because he's capricious and impulsive and he likes the letter X.
1: Yeah, it seems. OK. That, well, <laughs> I mean, I, I'm not surprised. I am, but I'm not. OK. He, they, As with so many Twitter things, it happened because Elon Musk felt like it.
0: Yeah. But Jesse, come on. Isn't X the coolest letter of all the letters? Well Like if you had named it J, that'd be gay as hell. Hold
1: on. I actually know. I wanna actually take this try to I wanna to try to take this seriously for a minute. Coolest letters. You know, I think you actually might be right. What letter
0: Yeah. The the only one that com- compares is Z.
1: Mm, but Z well, also like the the Russian sort of took Z too. I don't want to Z is kinda cool. X.
0: And it's but Z is like pronounced Z in places, and that would be confused anyway. <coughs> so um, this is X is also the name of like ten or twelve of his children. It was also the original name for the company that later became PayPal because when he was building PayPal, enough of the people involved were able to either override him or convince him that X is a stupid name. And they went with PayPal, much better name. Uh, but now, so he,
1: le- so he learned his lesson yeah. and put himself in a situation where no one can say no to his dumb ideas.
0: Exactly. Now he's rich enough and surrounded by enough sycophants that he can throw away billions in brand equity on a whim and no one can stop him.
1: I, dude, I love the, the complete opposite of like, like – I don't know. Say what you will of – I understand some people hate all billionaires. Say what you will of like Bill Gates or William Buffett. There's some sense of gravitas there, some yeah. sense that they've acquired experience. They're not going to make stupid mistakes. And Elon Musk, it's all the exact opposite. Yeah. It's like he just gets dumber and worse. Also, people should listen to PJ Vogt's new podcast, um, which has Search an changing. episode on this. Search engine, yeah, very good.
0: Warren Buffett never tweets. Bill Gates never, tw- Bill Gates never tweets. I mean, Bill Gates is injecting children with microchips to control their, their brains and bodies and also making us eat bugs. But other than that... Lots of gravitas. Uh, okay, so mm-hmm. so Elon is not only rebranding the company, he's also expanding it, or he's trying to. So he apparently wants Twitter, because I will never call it X. We will dead name on this 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 show. He wants it to be some kind of super app that will be like Twitter, Facebook, Substack, YouTube, PayPal, Amazon, TikTok, TikTok,
1: <laughs> TikTok, <laughs> TikToks,
0: uh, and WhatsApp all combined into one thing. So. Axios interviewed Walter Isaacson. He has a book coming out about Musk in September. And he said he's been thinking about this for a long time. Isaacson said, quote, he said it can be a trillion-dollar company easily. And then he said, this is an idea he has thought about for 25 years, a financial platform that helps anyone profit from creating content. So he wants it to be basically WeChat, which is this super app in China. But there are a couple problems with this plan. So for one, WeChat is in China. It has the support of the Chinese government, which also owns something called special management shares in WeChat's parent company. So they don't have free market competition the way that we do here. So WeChat isn't competing against Twitter, Facebook, Substack, YouTube, PayPal, Venmo, Zelle, Amazon, WhatsApp, your bank. That's a giant hurdle. And the second is that Musk himself, like he is a hugely polarizing figure in large part because of what he has done to Twitter. Now, if the app were good enough, that might not matter. But nothing he has done at Twitter inspires confidence, at least in me. Like, I think that it's good that he brought back some of the people who were unfairly banned. People like Megan Murphy, whose big crime was saying men aren't women. But, like, I'll credit him for that. But as a user, Twitter is objectively a worse product than it was before he took over. And I'm not talking about the content here, which I also think has gotten worse, but just the product. Like, let's just look at that for a second. Just a few of the recent decisions that he's made. So. It used to be that anyone could look at Twitter. You didn't have to have an account. You didn't have to log in. You just could go to anyone's page and you could see their tweets. Now, if you do this you were be prompted to log in and if you don't have a login you can't access the site and in a way I'm glad about this because now my wife can't check in on my tweets but still why would you do this like what is the point of making your product less accessible does this make any sense to you
1: no i for some reason on my phone sometimes it lets me sometimes it still lets me view it um i, I assume the theory is that this will convince people to sign up for accounts I don't think it will. but it it removes right the whole reason we have Twitter accounts is because the tweets are public and can be used to bring us attention and uh, hopefully money and stuff. But yeah, if they, if random people can't read the tweets, what's the point? Yeah.
0: And so he also made it so that you can't embed tweets in an article on subsec. I'm not sure what other platforms, if any, he's done this to, but no,
1: wait, you can still do that. With
0: no, you fucking cannot. Hold I on. No, no, you.
1: Sorry. I published something yesterday. Let me double check.
0: Come I'm sure I'm 100% sure it did not have a tweet embedded in it.
1: Oh, shit, you're right. Yeah, I've never, I know, I've really I'm never right. I need the fucking notes, Fuck, dude. you really can't, no. you really can't. That's so fucking stupid. It's so stupid, it's so stupid. I thought you were just being a hysterical woman and overreacting, but you were totally right.
0: <laughs> no, and and here's this isn't going to make a lot of sense to people who don't spend time publishing on any platform, but this is actually a, a very big problem because, like it used to be, if I wanted to share... Or let's say it's a it's a minor problem. It's not a huge problem. It's a, it's a problem.
1: No, this is the don't. This is the big. Okay, problem.
0: so if I wanted to, if, so I do the notes for the show, which is why they've gotten worse lately. And if you, it used to be that if I we wanted to share someone's tweet, I could just press a link, get the link to the tweet, put it in there, and it would like unfurl so you could see the actual tweet. So now I only do it if I absolutely have to because instead of just pasting the link, I have to take a screenshot of the t- of the tweet, then upload it to Substack, then change the size so it doesn't look as shitty. And it just – it doesn't look good. And I could just, like, include the link itself, but I don't do that either because unless you have a Twitter account, that link's going to be dead because Elon made it so that you have to have a, t- a Twitter account to see the tweets. So it's just – and he did this because he, like, got in a bitch fight with Substack because they started – a a thing called Notes, which is like a social media thing. It is just like he wants fewer people to see the content on his app. It makes no sense.
1: This is really annoying as someone who uses Substack even more than you do.
0: Yeah, it's annoying. And it's also very weird that you didn't know this. Well...
1: Wait, when did it happen?
0: It happened when he got in the bitch fight with Substack like two months ago.
1: No, what happened in the during the bitch fight, I thought, was Twitter wouldn't unfurl those links on Twitter.
0: It, that's also true. I feel true. like this is newer. No, this has happened at I the same time. I feel like this is newer. It's but, not. Oh,
1: man. Can we, while we're talking about your, do you can we publicly ask people about the AI images while we're talking about your takeover? The sure. Notes? Are you not ready yeah. for that conversation? No, we can. All do right. It. All right. You ready for this? Are you sure you're yeah, ready let's for this? Do it. I have nothing to hide. Okay. You know what? I'm going to be honest. Why don't you explain it first I, instead I, of just, yeah, go yeah. ahead. Since Katie took, okay, I'm now addressing the listeners, quote unquote. Since Katie took over the notes, she no longer pulls images from Getty Images. What? She does these grotesque AI <laughs> creations, which not like, and you can do really cool stuff. Which program do you use?
0: It's in Substack. I don't do it. This is not like outside.
1: Like it's like
0: built into Substack.
1: Substack has an A. You you are
0: oh my god! You are so you don't even know what the what your own platform Wait, So
1: You're not even using like Mid Mid Journey or some shit. No,
0: I'm using the Substack AI generator. I-
1: Is that actually a thing?
0: Yes, dude. Oh, my God. You are on Substack. You have a newsletter. How do you not know this?
1: Okay, but the thing is, the images are really weird, and they don't even like... Yeah. I know, but I... Okay, Here, so on the subreddit, it looks like someone posted about it, and I was curious if people are going to notice. And... There was, I just, we could use some feedback. And I feel like I'm stacking the deck here by expressing my opinions. No. So you're commi- We can't use
0: any feedback. You're
1: going to keep doing it. Instead not changing. of ones where we could just pull a Getty image of like an actual person featured.
0: Why would we pull a Getty image when we can have an image artisanally crafted by our house AI bot? Why would we do that? Okay.
1: Just describe for me the last premium episode. Just click on it for a minute. Premium. Rebecca Jones and Josh Fox are a match made in heaven. These are two real-life people with photos of them. Describe the image that the AI generated for us. Honestly.
0: It is an image of Josh Fox and Rebecca Jones. Here's.
1: (laughs) No, it's Josh Fox if someone drew a horrific cartoon visage over his face and it's Rebecca, like a a super Brazilian Rebecca Jones, who had way too much stuff injected in her lips, and she looks like a fucking she looks like a monkey, basically like a She's monkey Rebecca Jones hybrid.
0: She's whistleblowing.
1: It's and but he, also it's, there's just at the level of the way an image is assembled, my brain cannot process it. There's too much going on.
0: This is the future, Jesse, and if you can't handle it, you need to get with the times. The images oh, are man. fine. The I definitely cannot
1: fine. handle the future. All right. Well, feedback to blocked and reported podcast at Gmail.
0: Every everybody's feedback will be noted and, ex, and immediately discarded. Okay. So back to Twitter. I can't believe you didn't know that the Substack doesn't have an AI generator, or that you can't embed tweets. That it that does. It does yes. You mean? Or that it th- that you can't embed tweets. I, what have you been doing with your time?
1: I swear the tweet. I swear the Twitter things new. It's not
0: it. new. It's been like this for since I took over the notes. It has been like this. Huh. You can still embed YouTube. You can embed Instagram. Everything else except for Twitter.
1: This fucker, like Elon, just ruined everything, man. And know, it's like okay. it's like him doing a shitty job on Twitter has collateral damage on other better platforms like Substack. That's what I hate about it.
0: Right. And he wants his new app to be to also be like the Substack. Okay. So the last thing I want to complain about is that you can't DM people who aren't following you unless you're paying for Twitter Blue, and as a journalist, that sucks. Like. Twitter DMs were one of the most functional aspects of the sites because that's a way to reach out to people who you otherwise you don't even oftentimes you don't even have their name. It's, it was a really important function and Elon just broke it. I mean, I guess he's trying to get people to pay for Twitter Blue so that you can have that function. But why would anyone pay for a product that is objectively worse than it was when it was free? I don't get the thinking there. And people, when I complain about this, people are always just like, "Pay the money, pay the money, pay the money." And like, no, I like as a consumer, this isn't even ideo- ideological. As a consumer, this was if Twitter was free a year ago and it was better. Why would I pay now? Why would I pay when that now that he's made it worse? It doesn't like that's not how my brain works. I'm not going to do it. Plus, it brands you with the humiliating blue check mark, which I don't want. So yeah, maybe he will pull off creating the you know. Facebook, Twitter, PayPal, YouTube, TikTok, WhatsApp, WeChat, super app of his dreams. And it'll be so amazing that we'll all be zinging and and whatever this time next year. But I am, like, very skeptical that he'll be able to pull this off. He can't even get permits to pull the sign off of his building. It's not good. And, And X itself, like, it's so dark. What do you think about the new branding?
1: It's awful. Everything looks like garbage. It's just, it's stupid. I... Don't get the sense he has fewer fans than he did, but he should because he's proving himself just very incompetent.
0: The X looks like the new logo looks like the label on a bottle of cologne that someone would wear to a goth club.
1: Yeah, I guess that's accurate. I think that's accurate.
0: I think that if he was going to go in that direction, that's like he wants it to be this like edgy, dark thing, he should have just fully leaned in and just called it Hellsight.
1: Absolutely. Just go full heel. Yeah, totally. With
0: a little devil as the logo.
1: I like that, Katie. That's a good idea.
0: Yeah, and then that could be like when he has the super app, it could be like Hellbank, Hellbook, you know? Just really lean into it.
1: Can I? Um, can we move on so I can give a quick update on the Noah Coolin situation, which is rapidly developing?
0: Oh, it's still going on, yes.
1: So things are going to calm down because Glenn Greenwald has charged Oh, thank God. We got the big guns here. <laughs> he quote retweeted. He quote retweeted it. Uh, yeah, criticizing him. This is the same DNC left influencer who publicly told Jesse Single to kill himself, now urging Chris Rufo's imprisonment. This happens because their politics are utterly banal. They vote dumb like they're told, and that's it. So spewing childish tripe is how they feel radical. I guess let's just let them uh, fight it out and continue the podcast. The
0: thing about this is that Noah's going to love it.
1: He is loving it. He is loving it. He's, he's sure. just like And he's, Chris is going to love it. He's sort of subtly doing what he complains others do and make himself the victim. He says a lot of people have called him a kike since Chris Rufo tweeted about it, which wouldn't surprise yeah. me. But uh, he's also tweeting a lot about – so he's more immune – to this stuff than I am so we will leave Twitter to the likes of or sorry X to the likes of Noah Cooler
0: I'm sure that Noah is very popular on blue sky
1: <laughs> okay Katie should we do housekeeping real quick let's do it all right we're a podcast we have these like really weird nightmarish AI images I apologize about that it's not my fault they're um, cool look pl- they're the future
0: and honestly <laughs> they're cool I think- man I think it
1: looks like Rebecca Jones. I do. If something, if she got stung by a bee, that's what she would look like if she's allergic.
0: The, yeah. It's more like if she got, I don't know about stung by a bee. It's more like she got like Brazilian butt lift, but in her mouth. Mm-hmm. People really like the one of uh, Angela Lansbury. I had a really great AI image for that.
1: That was one of the least bad ones. This was, she's the uh, murder she wrote woman and we did Muller she wrote as our headline. Yeah. That's because it, it's recognizable as her. She looks a little bit her weird. Eyes are only slightly crossed. She looks a little weird and like angry and menacing, but not. It, it's recognizably her. If if you're a little, if this and she's wearing she's wearing Beats by Dre. She is. If this little project of yours with the AI images generated yep. more stuff like that, there'd be no complaints. We wouldn't have gotten tens of thousands of complaints. Look, AI is
0: the future, people.
1: You are <laughs> resisting it. You're just. I see what you're doing. You're sucking up to AI because you know that any day now, singularity. Stop resisting. Okay. reported.org is a website you can go to. There you can find links to our merch. Our merch is just... Great AI images. Great AI images. The merch is selling at a rate of... Was it $1.25 or $1.3 million of revenue a day? I forget. It was up there.
0: Uh, We did... I will say, we did... What's it's not quadruple? What's the one after quadruple? Five times quintuple. We did quintuple our our earnings last uh, last month
1: from uh, one dollar to five dollars. Uh, you can also sign up to become a premium subscriber, where for just five dollars a month and up, you get at least well, it's not at least it is three extra episodes a month. Our last one was really good. It was Katie Ashley teaching me some stuff I didn't know about a guy named Josh Fox. He's doing a documentary on a last named Rebecca Jones, and despite the image, it was a good episode. What other housekeeping stuff do we have
0: to do? Did you mention the um, premium? I literally just did. 5 dollars a month folks. Are you high Thank again? you. <laughs> This is actually okay, I'm going to be serious for a for a moment. This is the best way to support the show. We really if like, people don't don't pay for it, <laughs> we're not going to keep doing it. We can't keep doing it because yeah, we'll have not, to go get real not. jobs. So please if you want this show to continue, if you want to have it in your inbox and in your ears
1: every week. Uh, please support us. If we don't double our paid subscribers by tomorrow, I'm going to take the job I was offered at Seattle Times. <laughs> <laughs> My first column will be about whether Che Guevara was worse than Hitler. <laughs> okay. Uh, I guess I'd say, oh, com for all your subreddit needs. Katie, let's talk about race. Great. <laughs> Okay, so there's been a surge of headlines in the U.S. lately about some recently approved Florida education standards for the teaching of African-American history. I have found this to be a very confusing, very depressing story to follow. It has helped me realize just how screwed we are when it comes to trusting mainstream outlets to give us accurate information. So I'm just at a point where when it comes to stories where I enter with little pre-existing knowledge, I feel totally lost, and I hate that feeling. Um, okay, so let's back up briefly. I, we've talked a little bit about the CRT debate, but it's very unsufferable, and it's often about language games and people sort of shrieking at the top of their lungs without much substantive conversation. Do you sort of agree with that, I take it? Yeah, I do. CRT
0: is one of those terms like Nazi or groomer that have expanded to encompass things outside of the initial definition. Chris Ruffo, in fact, was very explicit that this was his project. Yeah, And people sort of le- tend to lean on the definition that fits their purposes. So you'll hear people say like CRT isn't taught in schools, which is true, like nobody's teaching Derrick Bell and to like third graders. Yeah. However, it is true that the principles of of critical race theory or anti-racism have been incorporated into various pedagogical practices. So people really do seem to, to talk almost speaking different languages when it when it comes to this debate.
1: Yeah, and we've talked about Florida's so-called "don't say gay" bill. Um, I think we talked about how like that was a little bit misleading the "don't say gay" language, but it was like also written in such a dumb, vague way that it's clearly going to have chilling effects. Um, and I think
0: it, it is is yeah. having a chilling yeah, effect. Yeah, that has just, been proven to be true.
1: Whenever I've looked at one of these conservative uh, laws attempting to change the way races discuss, like the the quote unquote best of them merely re-outlaw stuff that's already illegal, like you can't force kids to sort of adopt a creed they don't hold. The worst ones tend to be written so vaguely that they're they're just going to cause damage. And this is also politicized. This is part of a Republican war on wokeness that is often not very focused or intelligent. Um, but one thing I've noticed is that whenever I look into one of these specific laws and how they're covered... By mainstream outlets, mainstream outlets just can't stop doing a really piss-poor job with this.
0: Okay, so were there other examples besides the don't say gay bill in Florida?
1: Yeah, let me let me get through this one quick because I it, it was a while ago, but I think it like really captured this stuff. In the fall of 2021, Slate, Esquire, The Hill, Scientific American, probably other outlets, all reported that a bill pending in the Wisconsin legislature would have horrible effects on the state's ability to teach kids about crucial social justice concepts. So here's how uh, Scientific American, which, of course, is the first place I go for any sort of race commentary. Here's how they put it. A bill passed by the Wisconsin Assembly, for instance, bans any books, educational materials, or classroom discussions that include terms like racial prejudice, patriarchy, structural inequality, intersectionality, or, ironically, critical self-reflection. With this in place, it is hard to see how the civil rights movement, women's suffrage, or any number of events in American history could be discussed at all, let alone with depth. Indeed, such legislation may effectively chill the teaching of race by teachers scared to run afoul of conservative politics. Uh, So even at the time, everyone knew this bill wasn't going to pass for various reasons, but that whole thing I just read you is false. Those words were not Mm. banned in the bill. That was not in the bill.
0: And and there are a lot of... Quotes in this, so when it says terms like racial prejudice, that's that's actually in quotes.
1: Yeah, and it's just it's it's a complete misreading. So the bill sponsor entered into the legislative record this other document, or maybe it's his own testimony. I don't know exactly how it works. Where it's him saying, "I think some of these concepts, when taught in certain ways, might violate the bill." But that document is not part of the bill. That document would not be law. And even the guy himself. The sponsor, the state legislator, is saying, he's not saying these terms are definitely banned. He's saying they might run afoul if taught in a certain way. So the alarmist maximalist view of it that Scientific American and other outlets presented just was false, plainly false. And after I pointed that out, the authors and the Scientific American editor just sort of doubled down like it was crazy. So I feel like this reflects a broader trajectory where it's getting harder and harder to trust mainstream outlets to cover Culture war issues with one iota of like journalistic remove and accountability and, and honesty, frankly. Yeah. And the
0: Scientific American is one of the worst offenders.
1: They've gotten really, really, really bad. Okay. Back to Florida, the the fallen kingdom of Emperor Ron DeSantis. Like I said, we've talked about DeSantis's bill, the reasons to oppose it, chilling effect, all that. This latest round of outrage has to do with Florida's newly adopted standards for teaching uh, kids in public schools there about African-American history The controversy was blasted into the stratosphere by Kamala Harris. Katie, read the top of this NBC News article from July 21st.
0: Vice President Kamala Harris is expected to travel to Florida on Friday to deliver critical remarks in response to the State Board of Education's approval of new standards for how Black history will be taught in schools. The trip to Jacksonville will highlight efforts to, quote, protect fundamental freedoms, specifically the freedom to learn and teach America's full and true history. A White House official said in an announcement first shared with NBC News, dot, dot, dot In remarks Thursday, Harris blasted efforts to, in some states to ban books and, quote, push forward revisionist history. Quote, just yesterday in the state of Florida, they decided middle school students will be taught that enslaved people benefited from slavery. She said at a convention for the traditionally black sorority Delta Sigma Theta Inc. Quote, they insult us in an attempt to gaslight us and we will not stand for it.
1: Very scary stuff. That was the line that took hold. These standards teach people that black people benefited from slavery. So in the liberal imagination, that claim activates like some really nasty stuff from the past, including genuine conservative efforts to really downplay slavery or highlight the role of so-called benevolent masters and, and so on. If you saw this claim everywhere, it was prominently featured in a New York Times article all over sort of blue and on Twitter, all over mainstream progressive media, all over everywhere. And DeSantis actually sort of granted this interpretation some credence by immediately distancing himself from the curriculum, which is kind of funny, <laughs> yeah. given how involved he's been in these fights over education. He actually said, I didn't do it. So very like Bob yeah. Simpson-like. Um,
0: so were you skeptical of this immediately?
1: Yeah, I, I just was. It just, I, it didn't, it like common sense wise, I very much doubted that. In 2023, education standards would be like, yeah, slavery was cool. Slaves benefited from it. Um, I'm just, at this point, so skeptical of mainstream outlets, even the Times, like their ability to honestly report on these stories, especially ones where like all it takes is just reading the actual standards Mm -hmm. uh, without cherry-picking them. We'll return to that media issue. But part of this was also like, I I don't know much about the stuff. I took a course that really left a mark on me on African-American history in grad school. And there is this... I guess you could call it a tradition among serious scholars in this field of trying to figure out a way to tell slave stories that expresses the brutality and horror of it, but like carves out a place to talk about instances where they had agency or successfully resisted or the, you know, brief moments when their lives weren't nightmarish. This was something we talked about in a, you know, uh, African American studies, graduate class taught by like a, a professor who who's great, but is like, whoa. So, I sort of wondered whether that was maybe what was going on here and, and being pulled out of context. Does this, again, this is like a niche academic dispute, but does like what I'm saying make sense to you? Yeah, I get what you're saying. So like, if if you say some slaves were able to develop useful skills and you put it in the right context, you're not like excusing slavery done correctly. Or minimizing it. Yeah. Done correctly. That can be a form of good history. Like in the same way, if you talk about like how during the Holocaust, you know, some Jews were able to get together and have governments within the camps and put on plays once in a while. You're not saying the Holocaust was good or fun. You're just giving a more fully fleshed out version of their lives.
0: Right. It's trying to accurately represent what happened, but also in a sort of a a story of stories of human resilience. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, but what do the standards actually say?
1: So this is a 216 page document we'll link to. You can actually read the stuff specific to African-American studies pretty quickly by simply searching for AA, which is how that content is coded. You can just read all those entries. It doesn't take too long. Uh, will include a link to a piece in the National Review by Charles Cook in which he's very mad at Kamala Harris and calls her a liar. He just puts all the relevant quotes in one place. But So, so the, the segment in question reads, and this is you know, the, the standards explaining what will be taught, examine the various duties and trades performed by slaves, e.g. agricultural work, painting, carpentry, tailoring, domestic service, blacksmithing, transportation, benchmark clarifications. Clarification one instruction includes how slaves develop skills which in some instances could be applied for the personal benefit, end quote. As written, it does seem as though this section of the curriculum is more about simply explaining the day-to-day life of slaves and the different roles they had and probably the hierarchy where the slaves who worked in the field were sort of worse off with this clarifying point that in some instances they could personally benefit from them. So this, in a 216-page document, I I, I just... It doesn't. I don't think it makes sense to freak out about this. What do you think?
0: Yeah, I mean, this seems like a much more nuanced statement than Kamala Harris saying
1: they're trying to teach that slavery was good or whatever she said. I think her interpretation is laughable. I also think it just it adds to like partisanship and panic and overall shittiness. Um, that being said, I also recognize that because I know so little about this area, I should really defer to experts and see what they thought. I turned to Heather Cox Richardson. She's a historian whose letters from an American Substack" has over 1.1 million subscribers. She must be very, very rich. Unfathomable. If if she has a 1% conversion rate, I can't even think about it. It makes me hurt. That's a lot of money. Okay, so reading her article about this was when I really got depressed about this whole debate. Why is that? I really want it to be the case that in a situation like this, I can just defer to experts. I can turn my own brain off and say... Heather Cox Richardson interprets this this way. She's right. She's the expert. She knows what she's talking about. But it feels like it's getting harder and harder to do that. And, And Richardson's piece was no exception. Now, she obviously knows much more about slavery and Reconstruction than I do, and arguably even more than you do. But the problem is I just flipped between her Substack post and the actual standards, and I could see she was just exaggerating or distorting almost everything like you don't need to be an expert on african-american history or the history of reconstruction you just need basic reading comprehension to see she was distorting almost everything okay so give me an example of that so for one thing she repeatedly claims that the standards like disappear the role of black people in their own liberation uh that it only focuses on white people or overwhelmingly focuses on white abolitionists but here's how the standards read Quote, evaluate various abolitionist movements that continuously push to end slavery. Benchmark clarifications. Clarification one, instruction includes the Society of Friends, Quakers, and their efforts to end slavery throughout the United States. Clarification two, instruction includes writings by Africans living in the United States and their effect on the abolitionist movement, e.g., Sojourner Truth, Frederick Douglass, William Wells Brown, David Walker, Martin Delaney. Every single named writer in this section is African American. Do you think there's any way you could read this and then say they don't they only focus on white? Reformers and abolitionists. Are they black, Jesse, or are they politically black? (laughs) Richardson also writes, quote, in this account meeting in the standards, once slavery arrived in the U.S., it was much like any other kind of service work. Slaves performed, quote, various duties and trades, agriculture, work, painting, blah, blah, blah. Um, And in the end, it was white reformers who ended it. I don't understand where she's getting any of this. Like, of course you can explain exactly what slaves did without treating it as any other kind of service work, but that's not. There's just no sign the standards do that. It. it, I hate to say this. It feels like she's making it up. Of course, the standards aren't saying this is like any other job. That's the whole point of calling it slavery and describing what slavery is. Um, Again, the white white reformers ended it. No, the standards talk plenty about the black intellectuals who really helped propel abolitionism um, over and over. Uh, she critiques the standards on grounds that just don't apply. She writes that quote, black enslavement was not the same as indentured servitude, except perhaps in the earliest years of, of the Chesapeake settlements, blah, blah, blah. But the standards themselves note this quote, instruction includes the comparative treatment of indentured servants of European and African extraction. And quote, instruction includes the transition from an indentured to a slave based economy. And quote. So the standards appear to like, again, all we have is a zoomed out description of what's supposed to be taught, but the standards appear sensitive, both to the differences in how black and white indentured servants were treated and the differences between indentured servitude and slavery. Um, Okay. I have more on this. I don't want to ramble on forever. Folks should just read her her post and then compare it to the actual document. I found it really depressing because I'd like to be able to trust someone like that.
0: Okay. So did any of her critiques seem fair or accurate?
1: This is where it, like it gets a little bit more subtle and hard for me to judge as a non-expert. Like it could be the curriculum doesn't spend enough time on reconstruction. I can see that argument. I feel like I didn't learn nearly enough about it growing up. That's part of the reason this grad school course left a mark on me. Um, uh, but That's a much more tricky, subjective question. And it's miles away from, and much lower temperature than Richardson's claim that this is a ridiculous whitewashing standard that basically treats slavery like any other kind of work. And to be honest, as far as I can tell, most of her complaints are just based on badly misreading or exaggerating the standards. And that drove me crazy, given what a respected and frequently read public intellectual she is.
0: Okay, did you find reasonable or true critiques anywhere?
1: Yeah, so there is this language in the standards from like the, the reconstruction and beyond period, which reads quote, instruction includes acts of violence perpetrated against and by African Americans, but is not limited to. And then it mentions things like uh, Tulsa, a Washington DC race riot, blah, blah, blah. So I can understand the critique of like, why are you talking about violence perpetrated against and by African Americans when African Americans were horribly oppressed during this period, they were being lynched. Um, You know, That's reasonable. The counterpoint is that, like, if you actually want to capture the chaos of the era, you probably should include the fact that black people sometimes fought back with violence as they were justified in doing. So it would just depend on, like, how it was actually taught. Um, And then, like, there's this sort of higher-level expert critique about how the curriculum subtly distorts things in a right-wing way, Um, so subtly that even, like, college-educated adults might not notice it.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. I'm not sure how I feel about, like, a critique that really comes down to, like, you won't know what's wrong with this curriculum or how it distorts history unless you're basically an expert in this period. You get what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, I have zero doubt that Florida would teach about slavery and oppressive periods in American history the same way Massachusetts would. Um, but I just think this is, like, shifting shifting the goalposts. Like, if folks had started by saying, you know, these standards are a little bit off, they don't quite emphasize the brutality of slavery enough, uh, they sort of make it out like slavery was too easily resolved, blah, blah, blah. But that isn't what happened. Like people lost their shit because they hate Ron DeSantis and they said silly and hysterical and wrong things. And I I feel like in the long run, it just gives Republicans an easy victory because they can accurately point out that what Kamala Harris is saying is is crazy. Does that make sense to you?
0: Yeah, you're totally right about this. This is an easy win for Republicans. And as an example of that, so Jeremy Redfern, he's the press secretary for Ron DeSantis. He tweeted this. Remember when Florida wouldn't allow that AP African-American studies course because it focused too much on CRT and not enough on history and the White House lost its mind. Well, here is one. And so this is referring to a story from I believe it was earlier this year when there was a conflict over uh, teaching uh, AP black history in Florida schools. Then he continues. Well, here is one of the standards considered essential knowledge. He has a screenshot of this. This is from the from the college board. Let me just read you this.
1: And the College Board is like the giant company that runs right. the AP curriculum. So
0: it reads: In addition to agricultural work, enslaved people learned specialized trades and worked as painters, carpenters, tailors, musicians, and healers in the North and South. Once free, American Americans—that must be a typo. It's got to
1: be African Americans. Yeah,
0: African Americans use these skills to provide for themselves and others. So the exact same thing. It's the same shit. It's the yeah. same shit. So this was considered essential knowledge during this fight over the over the AP curriculum when liberals were trying to get this in schools and now this is considered like a historical racism.
1: So yeah, it's, it's just, it's an own goal to focus on that. Um, so it I is. read Josh Marshall had a column about this on his website, talking points memo. He has a PhD in American history. He's basically like, I don't know that much about this stuff, but I, I do follow it. And he had he had a more interesting and measured critique where he basically says there's not enough focus on the brutal failure of reconstruction. He also thinks the standards like take sides in a sort of right wingish way in this big ongoing debate about whether or not like this gets kind of abstract whether or not egalitarianism was sort of meaningfully baked into America's founding into our founding documents. This is a big like Nicole Hannah-Jones thing, right? Because America, this we were never a free mm-hmm. country. The slavery was baked into our founding. blah, blah, blah. Um, oversimplifying a little bit, conservatives are more likely to be like, no, like we just had to get over some kinks, but the the right spirit was there all along. Whereas lefties are more likely to be like, no, it's fundamentally corrupt. Right. And, and he basically, he writes, quote, there's no right or wrong in this basic division in how to see the American past. It's a perennial debate because how you see it depends greatly on which streams of history you emphasize. But there's little question the authors of this curriculum are strongly on the former side of the debate, and it informs every piece of the document. This is clearly the product of a handful of conservative movement institutions that are the product of the late 20th and early 21st century. The curriculum is very much a movement conservative document. Now, maybe, I guess I'm Mm. skeptical how much the average kid is going to pick up like as they're being flooded with names they don't know, dates they don't know, events they don't know, as they are learning about the Civil War and slavery and Reconstruction for the first time, to what extent does that actually filter down to them? Do they do they get the conservative message? I don't know, but like that that's a critique where like okay, you're not being hysterical. you're not taking stuff out of context. He's making a considered judgment about it. Um, I also one one thing I found genuinely interesting. Josh Marshall notes that the curriculum does you know compare the conditions slaves in different regions were subjected to. And if you compare slaves in the Caribbean to slaves in North America, you'll find out that the Caribbean was just much worse on average. Like uh, Marshall doesn't quote from this, from the standards, but this is one example, quote, instruction includes how slavery was stained in the Caribbean, Dutch Guiana and Brazil, despite overwhelming death rates, end quote. So this is what I find sort of interesting and provocative about all this. This is sort of common sense, Imagine a place like Jamaica in the 1830s versus a place like Virginia in the 1830s. Imagine where there was more danger for a slave, more disease, hurricanes, blah blah blah. Josh Marshall ar- argues that this has the effect of making North American slavery seem somehow softer or kinder, which is tricky because it probably, like if you were faced with the horrible choice of where to be a slave, it probably was a little bit better. And I always struggle with that with situations like this. Where we're sort of told that you can't say something that it's that's true because it could be used by bad people to make bad arguments. You could you could take pick that ball up and run way into Crazyville and say, see, slavery wasn't that bad when that's not the point at all, you know?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Um, but I, I don't think any sane person who isn't already a deranged racist is going to say that because slavery in the Caribbean was worse, that means North American slavery wasn't horrible. And I can just see the argument that if you want to give people a comprehensive understanding of slavery. Uh, you probably have to do some of this comparative stuff. So, uh, again, I, I sort of it's sort of funny, like when adults argue about these standards, cause when you imagine all I think most of this just totally going over. kids' Oh, my hands. God. I, I mean, yeah. do you remember like taking history classes like what you did and didn't pick up? I I struggled just to like study and know what happened when. Dude,
0: I don't know where I went to school. And this was not just... <laughs> I don't
1: know where I am.
0: Yeah, and this was not just high school or elementary school. I also didn't learn anything in college. Everything, in and out. Yeah, it's, absolutely. This will probably not make a, a mark on anybody.
1: <laughs> yeah, and the, the uh, just to, at the risk of repeating myself, someone is going to hear this and be like, well, Jesse, you're falling into a well-known far-right-wing trope. Uh, people who say slavery is worse here than there, they're really trying to say this, this, this. It's like... I know, but if, if if you need to know about the trope to even pick up on that, and if it's based on a true thing that will be presented briefly to children, I don't know, man. A lot of this is just like using the stuff as a political football, which the right totally does too. Um, but anyway, the key takeaway, as always, is that I came away from this very depressed. I felt like I did not get an accurate, well-rounded view of the controversy from the Times, uh, from Heather Cox Richardson, from all these liberal outlets. Um, there were some, I, I thought, Josh Marshall's thing was was fine. I'm going to link to Ryan Grimm talking about this stuff on Breaking Points. Uh, we have a friend of the pod named History Boomer, you might know from Twitter. He did a Substack post we'll link to. Um, but, yeah, man, I just continue to be very uh, depressed about uh, mainstream media's ability to cover this stuff fairly.
0: Well, you know, I mean, with regards to Heather Cox Richardson, I have heard there's a lot of misinformation on Substack. <laughs>
1: I think we should probably shut it down or regulate it, or maybe we should arrest her until we can figure out what the hell is going
0: on. her with tomatoes. (laughs) All right, Jesse, well, thank you for this. Anything else?
1: I mean, I possess such encyclopedic knowledge of reconstruction. I could go on all day, but I I don't want to bore people, so I'll leave it at that.
0: All right, well, check the show notes for some supplemental reading.
1: As always, we're produced with help from Tracing Woodgrains and The Mysterious Lex. Thanks to both of them. I'm Jesse Single, and remember, if by it, you mean a lot of people telling you to kill yourself.
0: And I'm Katie Herzog, and also remember, the next time you hear the term Latinx, they're talking about South American Twitter.